0: You're listening to the Ultimate Game Faces Podcast with your host, Rich Key, delivering insight into the fascinating life stories of his featured guests.
1: L.A. Times sports writer Bill Plasky describes him as a fighter. Finn Scully has charged him with a new responsibility far greater and more important than being a general manager of a baseball team. In 1988, As GM, he led the Dodgers to a World Series victory. Sporting News has named him Executive of the Year. His very public battle with cancer has highlighted both his tenacity and integrity. The list goes on. Allow me the pleasure of introducing Fred Clare.
0: Rich, thank you very much for that introduction, and uh, it's great to... um, be with you and i'm looking forward to our visit today excellent fred let's get right to it let's go to opening
1: day 1977 tommy's office the four of us you myself tommy and starting day pitcher don sutton are there and the subject was keep the ball clean
0: please go ahead and share well nineteen seventy seven uh rich was the um, day that uh, major league baseball was um introducing a uh a a new ball a different brand of uh, baseball and uh we had been told uh by the uh, commissioner's office that after the first pitch the ball would be thrown uh out of the game and uh, would go to cooperstown which along with um, uh, the balls from the other first pitches in major league games that day and uh, Don Sutton was our starting pitcher and I said to Don I want to let you know Don that that ball is uh, going to be thrown out after your first pitch and uh, he said well why are you telling me that and I said well Don I just want to be sure that the ball is nice and pristine and um, white and clean and um, he uh, kind of smiled at me well as it evolved uh the game with the Giants on opening day Don Sutton throws the first pitch of the game and the ball ends up in the uh right field um bullpen uh the visiting uh bullpen Gary Thomason uh had hit Don's first pitch for a home run so Don came back to the bench and called me in the press box and he said Fred I thought you told me that they would be taking that first pitch. <laughs> and I said, Don, how long have you been in the major leagues? Did you ever see a case where somebody purposely uh, took a pitch? And, of course, he was pulling my leg and doing it in very good fashion because he was very convincing in trying to get me to believe that um, that the instructions were that the batter, uh, the leadoff man for the Giants, Thomason, would be taking the pitch. And here was a home run and the Dodgers were down in the game. And as it developed, as uh, fate would have it, uh, that game went along with Don pitching very well, the Dodgers trailing by a run, and I was getting more worried. I thought, could it possibly be that, that Don really believed this? And uh, as it turned out, in about the uh, sixth inning as the game advanced, uh, Don called again, say, Fred, I was just pulling your leg, and I said, well... I thought so, but thank you for confirming. So, in baseball, Rich, I think the point is, is that anything can happen in a game, and uh, it's a um, certainly something that uh, I'll long remember as far as how that uh, opening day transpired. I
1: found myself that day, Fred, sitting or, or standing in the photo well next to the Dodger dugout, only about five feet away from Tommy. At that moment. And I'll remember two things. One was the Giants bench having great pleasure as to what had happened, looking out on the mound with Don Sutton with his hands on his hip and listening to Tommy and his reaction to what he just saw play out. It was unforgettable. It will never, I will always remember that, that start of the 1977 season. And that was one memorable day, as you remember, with Sinatra and company.
0: Well, a lot went into that uh, game, Rich, as you uh, recall and as we know, because it was really um, uh, Tommy's uh, start to his uh, starting his first full season as the Dodgers manager. And it was a day when we had put a lot into creating opening day and wanting to make opening day as a very significant day in uh, the Dodgers schedule. Many people would forget that for years after the initial opening at Dodger Stadium, opening day just became another day. It wasn't celebrated in Los Angeles at Dodger Stadium as it was in other major league cities where you had gone through the winter and opening day signified uh, the start of the season and really the start of something more, the start of a, uh, of a new year and, uh, and spring coming. And uh, so it was a very memorable. And of course, opening day now is uh, a major, major event. And usually uh, not usually, but now always the first game to sell out on the Dodgers schedule and a tradition For fans and um, families, and it's great to see.
1: Fred, I think if I'm not mistaken, you are the one responsible from changing opening day. Uh, They were typically an evening game, if I'm not mistaken, and you saw the importance of making
0: it a full day event. I uh, was involved in the decision, and um, Rich, I came from a very small town in Ohio, and of course, opening day in Cincinnati was always a major, major event. In fact, if my memory serves me correctly, there there was a time in baseball that the um Cincinnati had the honor of of, of being uh, the very first uh opening game on the schedule. Uh but I always felt that uh uh opening day should be a major event uh in uh Los Angeles and um and it was uh you know we had a great uh group in our marketing department, and uh it was really a a team of people that uh, helped uh start to build opening day as an event uh Mark Langell of the dodgers um, has done a very good job uh in recording that as far as uh Dodger history with several articles but um, it's uh it's now uh great to see uh what opening day means and certainly. For this year uh, a very different season to say the least and I think and I know that uh, all of the fans have missed the experience this year and we have to look forward to next year to resume the tradition of such a great event
1: you mentioned Mark Langell's name and I think and I'm sure the Dodgers realize they were very fortunate to have him on board he's one of the very best historians in
0: baseball today He's a real student of the game, a, a love of the game, and he has done a, a great job uh, in uh, preserving and telling the, uh, the history of the uh, Dodgers organization. Fred,
1: one aspect of the game that fans are not privy to is the anatomy of a trade. And could you take a moment and walk us
0: through what a maj- what's involved in a major league trade? Well, there's much involved, uh, Rich, and it varies from um trade to trade, but um one that I think of uh just happens to be the first um major trade that I was involved with, and that was in the nineteen eighty seven season, uh when we uh traded for um John Shelby in a trade with the Orioles. And the evolution of that trade uh really started uh, on a point that really is the starting point of any trade. And that is for a club. How do we fill a need that clearly is there on our team? And uh, we had started the 1987 season um, with a very um, young player in center field a fellow by the name of Mike Ramsey. He had been in double A, a San Antonio the previous year. And uh, it was too big of a step uh, and somewhat rightfully so to assume that uh, this young player was going to become able to come up and fill such a uh, an important position. So having taken over um, after the first three games of the 1987 season, uh, then um, I set out to try to, Fill that important uh, position and uh, identified uh, through the help of our our scouts and uh, all that goes into a trade from that standpoint in terms of research and on that part of it it's so important to uh, call upon your scouts who are seeing the players from other teams and um, we uh, identified uh, john who at that point had been sent to the uh, Rochester team, the A team by the Baltimore Orioles. So John's playing in Rochester um, and uh, we have um, a need uh, for a center fielder and we think that John is um, going to be our, our guy to fill that position. I sent Mel Didier uh, into uh, Rochester to keep an eye on John and to watch him. So we had the most updated reports that we could have. So, uh, Mel was there, uh, very cold days in Rochester, New York, uh, keeping a close eye on John, calling me, telling me that he liked everything that he was seeing about John. John was there uh, on cold days, uh, one of the first guys out for batting practice, working hard, wanting to get back to the major leagues. And so, um, I, Hank Peters was the Orioles' general manager, And we had um, a number of discussions and uh, came to an agreement that uh, the trade would be made, that we would send uh, Tom Needenshore, a relief pitcher, to the Orioles for uh, John and a um, left-handed pinch hitter that the Orioles had. His name is uh, is, uh, Dwyer. I think it's Jim Dwyer. And, you know, Rich, it's strange because as – as the season and the games progressed, Dwyer had, uh, had several at bats key at bats where he had won, uh, games for the Orioles with hits. And even though, uh, Hank and I had an understanding, um, he called me and said, Fred, he said, uh, I, I just can't, uh, give up this, uh, this left-handed hitter. He said, he's won a couple of games for us. He said, he said, I, I just can't do it. And, um uh, I said, okay, Uh, of course our focus was on the center field position. So um, I tried to and did work with Hank's uh, wishes and uh, decided he gave me names of other players and we decided on a left-handed pitcher by the name of Brad Havens. So here's the thing that the fans certainly have no awareness, they have no ability to have an awareness on something like this. So we're in Atlanta and the trade is to be announced the next day. The Dodgers are going to go from Atlanta into New York. And I went to Tommy and I said, Tommy, whatever you do in this game, uh, try your best to not use Tom Needenshore because um, uh, he's going to be involved in a trade that I think will give us a, uh, a very good, reliable, and important center fielder. And uh, Tommy understood uh well uh fate had its hand in that game. Uh, Tommy uh didn't use Nidenfuhr, but now the game goes into extra innings. And it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. And I don't remember what the inning was, but finally Tommy had no other choice. He had to bring in Tom Neidenfjord, the pitcher that we didn't want to use. Well, on uh one of Neidenfuhr's first pitches in the game a line drive is hit back to the mound, and it looks like it hits Needenfuhr's foot, and it goes uh, uh straight up into the air. And I thought, oh my gosh, he, he's hit Tom, he's probably broken his foot. As it turns out, Rich, rather incredibly, the ball had hit the mound right at the rubber and shot right up into the air, and uh fortunately, uh, Tom, uh, Tom Neidenfuhrer was okay, but I can remember Tommy walking off the, um, field and looking at me in the stands, hardly anybody in the stands in Atlanta at this point in time, kind of shaking his hands and saying, Fred, how, (laughs) how was I to know? And, uh, of course, uh, Neidenfuhrer wasn't injured and, um, the trade was made, uh, uh, the next day, and John um in Rochester uh, came directly to uh, Shea Stadium after my call to him and became the center fielder for the remainder of the '87 season and a key, key factor in our World Championship of 1988. Fred, if you don't mind, one of my favorite baseball stories happens
1: to be the John Shelby story of when he was informed of the trade.
0: Do you mind sharing that with everybody? I would be happy to Rich because it certainly was a uh, a memorable call uh, to someone who's become um uh, a dear friend. Uh so now we're in um, New York um and uh, the trade's been completed with uh, Hank Peters and the Orioles. Uh we're going to receive uh John Shelby and Brad Havens and Tom sure is going to the Orioles. So I called uh John, and I said, John, uh, this is Fred Clare of the Dodgers. Uh, we've just made a trade, and uh, you're now a member uh, of the Dodger organization. And um, John's reply, I said, well, I want you to report tonight, John. And uh, he said, uh, Mr. Clare, he said... Um, or I he said, I, I can't report tonight. He says, I'm here in, uh, Rochester with my young family. He said, it's going to take me, uh, three days, uh, to get settled to get to Albuquerque. And I said, John, you're, you're not going to Albuquerque. I said, John, you are the starting center fielder of the Los Angeles Dodgers. And Rich, it seemed like. It was one, two or three minutes of silence. I I wasn't sure that we still had the connection. And John's words were, Fred, I've waited, or Mr. Clare, I've waited all my life to hear those words. And John Shelby and join us at Chase Stadium the next day on a Saturday in a NBC nationally televised game uh, made an incredible uh, catch with the bases loaded. That was his start and he played so superbly for us in 1987 and was such a key factor in 1988. So I think back and I think of that trade and I think two things. I think of what led to that trade. And then I think about what has happened since the day of that trade more than 30 years ago where john shelby and his wife trina have become such dear friends and his family and his children and one of his um, young sons who i've helped to mentor who said um, mr clary said you know he said i'd never he says i was born in los angeles because of you so uh, a great connection rich and one of the joys of the game, when you're um, able to be involved and be in a position um, to uh to be a part of such great memories, and great memories for the fans and and to know how beloved John is by Dodger fans, it carries great meaning
1: Fred, during your time as general manager um the the flip side of a trade as opposed to John Shelby's story, is informing one of your players that they've been traded. How do you handle that? Everybody during that period of time seemed to be a much tighter uh, group, a family, and to be able to tell one of your family, although it's a business, that they've been traded away, is got to be uh, terribly uh, difficult. How did you handle it as a GM? uh say after a game did you put that on Tommy or did you handle it how how did walk well, please walk us through that
0: well i always rich uh because it, they were my decisions and i always wanted to be the person and always was the person to inform a a player uh of a trade and i think by the nature of the game rich to go inside the game a little bit more uh, it can be handled in only one way. There was only one way for me to handle it, and there was only one way for the player to handle it, and that is in a totally professional fashion, realizing that there are emotions, emotions by the team, emotions by the player, of course. But uh, uh, I, I always found that... uh to be very professional about it, to be very uh, honest about it. And the players understood that because they they realized that trades are part of the game. And that doesn't eliminate the emotion. I can remember how emotional uh, Pedro Guerrero was in 1988 when we traded him to St. Louis for John Tudor. Pedro had grown up uh, as a Dodger, that was his organization los angeles had become his home so that was very difficult and um and pedro um uh, was emotional and uh, and even tearful uh, in learning that he was no longer a dodger but um but he accepted it and he not only accepted it but he went on to st louis and had some very very productive productive years um, for the Cardinals, and there are many times, Rich, in a trade that isn't always the uh, the saddest news for a player. In some cases, a player realizes that he's going to get an opportunity to play more uh, on a team uh, other than uh, his position on the Dodgers and who might be ahead of him uh, in the lineup or in the starting lineup. So um, I think the important part, again – in uh handling things in a professional manner, that again, because it's a point certainly in my life of being more reflective, of thinking back about how the friendships have continued even after the trade, or even more uh, uh, important in terms of emotion, Rich, is the release of a player um you know i that's never easy to tell a player that he's uh released and um and i've had to give those words to um uh, to some very great uh and famous players from um Fernando to uh Jerry Royce and others uh, Rick Dempsey I uh, was a dear great friend today and um but what the the thing that I always try to emphasize in any release is this, and I can remember in the case of Rick, I said, Rick, uh, look, we've got a decision to make and um, we are giving you your release, but don't let me, don't let this organization, don't let anybody tell you that you can't continue to play. We have made a decision. It doesn't mean it's the right decision, And it doesn't mean that it's the end of your career because I always felt that for a player, and I was always drawn to the most competitive players. And there was a player from uh, years ago with the St. Louis Cardinals, and my brother was a great Cardinal fan, Enos Country Slaughter. And he said, and the quote always stayed with me, even though I heard it as a very young guy, they're going to have to tear this uniform off of me. To get me out of it and that's the um, that's the passion that I always wanted to see don't let somebody tell you you can't succeed don't let somebody tell you that you can't continue to play uh, and in the case of um, Fernando or in the case of uh, Jerry Royce or in the case of Rick Dempsey uh, uh, those releases didn't end their careers they indeed went on to play for other teams and in other years um, but it's uh, it's part of the game, and the players realize it, and management realizes it.
1: You're in a spot where you may have to tell that person they're left off of the postseason roster. How do you handle that?
0: Yeah, Rich, that's a very difficult uh, part uh, because you know the one thing you have to uh, realize is that that player, and you're cutting down to your postseason roster. Uh, that player many times has contributed uh, greatly, importantly, to your season. And so that's never easy. Um, but again, you now have to form your roster in terms of what you're going to be facing in postseason play with the objective, obviously, of winning a World Series championship. And uh, so those are never easy decisions, but, you know, what we always tried to do is that in those cases where a player where we had to make the move of a roster change uh, to keep that player uh, with us, even though he's not eligible for play in the uh, in the postseason, because the other part of that, you never know what's going to happen in terms of an injury is that a player may not be um uh, you may not have him on your roster for um a division or league championship but working within the rules of the game you may be able to get him on your roster for the world series the world series roster but um again those are always uh because in a season you have a 40 man roster that you're working with and and you're using um uh, many times uh, nearly 40 uh, different players But ultimately, only 25 of them can be active. And uh, and you want to honor the players who have contributed to a season. When you stop and think about
1: it, in the beginning of the season, as the architect of that ball club, you put together your roster based on a full season. But then the, the goalpost has been moved once you enter into postseason because it's a whole different short season. And I imagine you design your team to handle that short season and what you need to be able to get through that season successfully at that postseason. So much like perhaps this season that we're watching right now, it's a complete different design. You see how pitchers are being utilized, especially out of the bullpen. It's, it's coming down to a different a whole different blueprint that you have to come up with when it comes to a roster and, and the
0: players I'm sure have to or understand it. Fred well, let me it's me. never yes never been more challenging rich than it is for the uh basically the general manager and the baseball operations people of today uh never been more challenging than it is in this season in every season in a, in a normal long season 162 games, you always face injuries, performance, uh, not being what you want to see, calling up players, sending down players. But this season is the most uh, challenging uh, in our history uh, because of the um, virus. And and you see um, some teams and the Marlins certainly being so hard hit and so there had to be a lot of uh adjustments, so that's why I um tip my hat really to the um uh, uh the players of today and all the challenges they're they're facing, not only the normal challenges of of the season and the competition uh but the other challenges that uh, all of us are uh in this country and indeed in this world are facing so uh t- challenges for sure. Years ago uh former baseball owner Bill Veck had a quote and
1: it read Baseball is almost the only orderly thing in a very unorderly world. How appropriate
0: is that for two thousand twenty? Well, um baseball always has been such a part of the uh the fabric of America. And uh and that's one of the reasons why even in a different time, that it's um, it's good to be able to uh, watch games on television as a diversion to uh, all that we um, face. And, and that is uh, the goal, is to get back to what uh, would be normal times once again. Looking back during the game in your career, who was the kindest person to you? Uh, well, I was very very fortunate rich, in um, being part of a um, of an organization of experienced people and being a somewhat young guy and coming in to a front office really of um, of legendary people um, the great Walter o 'Malley uh, and experienced baseball people who had been associated with um, Branch Rickey in a in a very um, important and definitive way in Al Campanis and Bill Schweppe, our scouting director, Ben Wade. And to see uh, such accomplished people and how they uh, cared for the game and how they cared for people who were part of the organization, um, was very very um impressive to me so there were um wonderful leadership examples that were there for me and the uh players uh and certainly at a um at, at a at a different time some of the veteran players on the Dodger teams of those years uh were so uh important and um Don Sutton uh and Claude Osteen and Jim Brewer uh on, on our the pitching side of things and wonderful, wonderful uh legendary coaches in um Red Adams and Monty Basgall and Danny Ozark and Roy Hartsfield. So it was a um there, there was uh, a sense of uh, professionalism and dedication in the Dodger organization and all of the wonderful scouts that you just knew or I knew early on. What an honor and a blessing that I had uh, to be around these people. And um, many of them rich were uh, people that uh, I knew when I was uh, a student uh, and following baseball, and and a number of them who had played in the Pacific Coast League, uh where my family moved to California, and I was following the Pacific Coast League, and to know them, uh, to really be a fan of their performance, and then become a friend, close friends, with people like Molly Basgall, and Red Adams, and George Genovese, and uh so many other wonderful people, so it was really fortunate, Rich. Uh, Fred, where
1: can listeners connect with you online?
0: Well, I'm I'm uh always happy uh to um engage and be of whatever help that I can be to um uh, the Dodger fans and others who've been so uh supportive and uh so online I can be found on uh LinkedIn and also on uh Twitter. I enjoy uh, being able to uh, connect with friends and with fans of the uh, Dodgers. And um, and certainly it's uh, kind of our uh, world of uh, today to be able to connect online. Three and two to Tony Phillips. Lansford down the line from third
1: with two out. Steinbach on deck. Five-two Dodgers in the ninth. They've done it like the 1969 Mets. It's the impossible dream revisited.
0: Take us back to that moment. Where were you? Well, I was uh, seated in the club box uh, in Oakland with um, my wonderful wife, Cheryl, and with uh, Peter and Annette O'Malley. And I can uh, certainly recall the pure joy when um, Oral Hershiser, uh struck out Tony Phillips and uh, Rick Dempsey went racing to the mound to lift Oral to the sky. And I think um, the next thing I really remember is um, the joy of being in that clubhouse in Oakland and uh Certainly one of the um, couple of key moments and uh, one of those uh, unforgettable moments is that when Rick Dempsey, who had uh, caught the final up ball in the pitch from Oral, um, took the ball and stuck it in his back pocket. And uh, when uh, I, Rick and I embraced in the clubhouse, he reached into his back pocket and pulled out the ball and said, Fred, this belongs uh, to you. And uh, so a vivid memory of that, and um, that ball now uh, rests in the Hall of Fame, which uh, Cooperstown, which I felt was the appropriate spot for it. So all fans could remember such a great moment. And then I remember, Rich, the um, being there with uh, Peter O'Malley and Tommy, uh, Commissioner uh, Peter Uberoff, uh and Bob Costas, And uh, I can remember that one thing that I really look forward to if we were going to be so fortunate to win to uh, my words of what I wanted to say. And when I look back at the tape, uh, I see that um, my thoughts certainly stayed with me because I wanted to give thanks to all of the people that made that World Series championship possible Here we were before the cameras and in the celebration. But I wanted to thank, as I did, uh, all the people involved and certainly in the baseball operations, the scouts, the players the or the people who were part of our minor league system. And obviously, uh, Tommy and his staff and the players. But I wanted to give the emphasis of what, in my mind, a world championship was all about. And that was all about a, uh, a total team effort. Uh, and I can um, remember the um, uh, the flight home uh, and just um, I don't think we really needed an airplane. We were flying that high and um, unforgettable moments of an unforgettable season. Tell me about that air flight. It had to be just
1: beyond description. Uh, how happy can somebody be in an airplane uh and I imagine that the uh the burning of um champagne in your eyes didn't stop
0: no it didn't it uh it seemed like the flight um <laughs> only took a minute uh, <laughs> because you um your your thoughts are racing really and um it's uh with, with so much that goes into a season and to finally have the ending and the greatest ending that we could have envisioned uh, that uh, you just, uh, it's just such a special place uh, in time and um, in your mind to know. But I think, the other thing uh, was the realization of uh, how quickly uh, that time passes. Uh, I would say later that when you take the picture of the uh, trophy presentation, uh, that part of the season ends right there because the beauty of baseball is the continuation of baseball knowing that you now needed to prepare and needed to prepare, uh, immediately. Uh, and in fact had started even before that final out for the next season. So I think that's really the, um, a great joy, but a great realization is this is just one moment. And, um, and there is so much more, to do, and that's why when you um, see teams that have been fortunate in organizations that um, to have uh, consecutive um, victories or uh, that experience, um, they are certainly due all of the credit that comes their way. Fred, you um, you
1: mentioned about the off season, and I I just couldn't help but remember a story that our dear friend Bill Schumard likes to tell it was his first year joining the Dodger organization young Bill Schumard and it was at the end of the season and he runs across you in the um, in the hallway and he, he said to you Fred I just bought myself a new set of golf clubs and I'm taking lessons so I figured that I can take some lessons over the off season and 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 get this game figured out of mine and you turned and looked at him and said, Uh, sorry, Shue, but Dodgers there's no off season. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, and 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 Shoe will tell that story and laugh the loudest So that that talks about uh how you know, that's that's the philosophy and commitment that the Dodgers have always had twelve months
0: out of the year no absolutely no question rich as uh, you know from your experience there that um, yeah people may look and say well uh season's ended uh now we got a full off season uh and um, nothing much to do until the season starts again well uh there is everything to do as far as the team itself and all that has to be done and not just on baseball operations of course rich but uh in the departments that work so hard without the um, without the notice, whether it's the um, uh ticket department or all of the other departments involved, the sales department uh in a organization, uh to prepare for that uh next season. Um, and then again comes uh the cycle of baseball uh opening day um once again it, it's the uh continual joy of of the game i think that intrigues us and gives us hope and uh gives us great memories
1: 4 years ago cancer entered your life in quoting your own words it picked the wrong guy and after countless rounds of treatment and multiple surgeries that you've gone through and haven't really shared the ugly side of this journey that you've been through. You're holding your own, and you dedicate your efforts to cancer awareness and also uh, the great medical center here in Duarte, City of Hope. And it's just amazing what you've done. To that point, your cancer journey, Fred, is chronicled in the new book, Extra Innings, written by Tim Madigan. And and the book is available on Amazon. And folks should know all net proceeds are donated to City of Hope. And one last thought on that is, before we talk about it, I, I gave it some thought. And I go, your decision to share publicly your cancer story is fast becoming your legacy, superseding your baseball accomplishments.
0: And I have no doubt you're very comfortable with that. Well, I shared my uh story when uh cancer came my way because of how it came my way. It was from what appeared to be a very minor, literally unnoticeable spot on my lip, uh calls from many days in the sun, like so many of us who spend days in the sun. Uh and that um uh led um to a Mohs procedure where unfortunately um, the uh, cancer wasn't um, eliminated uh, by that procedure but I shared uh, because I wanted to share the uh, story of the importance uh, not of me being a victim of cancer so many are victims of cancer that is hardly noteworthy but in having people be aware of how uh, dangerous uh, it can be to be exposed to the sun and not to apply um, the sunscreen that's needed to help you. And more importantly, because mine was so unusual, you can put sunscreen on your face or on your arms or your legs. But I never thought so much about protecting my lips. And there's sunscreen, obviously, uh, with protection, Uh for uh the lips and um and that's why I wanted to uh let people know uh this is important because I'd lost so many friends too in the game due to skin cancers uh because again of all the time in the sun and um and I can remember when that story first ran uh that uh I had several calls uh one from a former player. Uh, one from a, uh, sportscaster who, who said, um Fred, I'm on my way to get, uh, sunscreen uh, protection for my lips. And so that was the, that was the reason, uh, Rich, as far as, uh, uh, going public. And then the next step was in wanting to help the city of hope. And we were very fortunate, uh, as you know, to, um, have two celebrity, uh, golf tournaments with wonderful support from so many people. And organizations where we, uh, raise money for cancer, uh, research for City of Hope. And, um and then as you mentioned, um in this past year, uh, or now in just, um, a month or so ago, uh, the release of the book Extra Innings where the author Tim Madigan, uh, chronicles, uh, not just my story by any means but really tells the story so meaningfully of the City of Hope Medical Center and all of the great doctors and all the great people at City of Hope. And um, I've been so pleased with the um, reviews on Amazon because the readers, and it's all there for one to see, come away with the statement of... um, wow, what a great place City of Hope must be. And that's really the um, rewarding part uh, while acknowledging the work of the author Tim Madigan, uh, who they describe as weaving the story of a battle against cancer, the City of Hope, and a baseball story or stories.
1: Fred, you have a wonderful habit that, should be contagious to everybody else. But I've noticed over the last few years, in your daily daily routine, if you have a quiet moment, you pick up your phone and you call an old friend.
0: Why? Well, I'm uh, I'm fortunate to have a lot of old friends, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I uh, I never want them to uh, get too far um, removed and um because um you realize that um nothing is um uh, is permanent and so it's very important to um stay in touch with people who have been meaningful to you in your lifetime and to um as part of that not simply um sitting by or sitting back in a chair. And this morning uh, when I heard uh, President Clinton uh speak of uh John Lewis, and he ended with the message that the great John Lewis uh, kept saying to all around him. Keep moving, keep moving, keep moving forward for all of the right reasons and um I thought it was very profound the way that uh, President Clinton used john lewis 's words, and I think that's really a message um, for all of us, and to uh, always keep in mind the people who have been. Uh, helpful to us in our lives, and to be uh, able to express gratitude uh to those people because nothing um is certain, and you don't know when you're going to get that uh another chance and so um, I appreciate you mentioning that rich, because um I try to make that a uh a part of my uh, daily routine and certainly um enjoy the uh, uh, the friendships and the history. I'm going to close out on this
1: point, which is probably the most important point of all to you and your family. And that is throughout the past four years, Fred, you've been blessed to have an amazing support system from your children to your most loyal advocate, your wife, Cheryl. Please take a moment. And you're on your own here, Fred. But share what it has meant for you to have Cheryl by your side throughout this
0: challenge. Well, my wonderful wife Cheryl has uh, been there um, every step of the way. And um, every time uh, I was walked into one of uh, 33 radiations to my face, she was there uh, to every doctor's appointment over four years at City of Hope and I think that um, you realize and uh, this is noted in some of the reviews that uh, when you think about cancer patients or, or any patients that what is so important to them are the caregivers uh, and how much that means and so I'm um, feel so blessed uh, to um, have the wonderful support of, um, of Cheryl and my children Jeff, Jennifer and Kim uh, and so many uh, friends but I think that um, we, uh, we really need to um, Pay as much tribute as we can to those who are there in uh, supportive roles and um, certainly uh, Cheryl has um, just been incredible in the, um, the care that um, she has shown uh, through this journey. Fred, I've had the pleasure of having
1: dinner with you and Cheryl on occasion. If the restaurant has a piano player, that gentleman is going to have a request. Go ahead. What is it?
0: Rich, uh, nice of you to remember that, uh, because with Cheryl there, it is always the request of, you are the wind beneath my wings.
1: Fred, it's been an honor to sit down with my friend and ongoing mentor. I thank you. Fred can easily be found on LinkedIn and Twitter. Extra Innings by Tim Madigan is on Amazon. And please remember, all net proceeds go to City of Hope. Thank you for joining us, everyone. See you next time.